welcome. This is Victoria Schneps, and I am the president of Schneps Media, and today hosting Power Women. And the woman I'm interviewing today is someone who's very special, and not only does she do wonderful law work, but she's also a great giver back. A woman who does so much for the community, Jennifer Kona. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you so much. So great to see you, Vicky. It's great to be here. Thank you. So, Jennifer, tell me a little bit about your growing up years and who influenced you to help you become who you are today. Very clearly, it was my parents. My dad had a very, very strong work ethic. He worked his way up from um, a history teacher to high school principal to eventually superintendent of schools and eventually ran the school systems in um, Aramco in Saudi Arabia. So, and he has a PhD, he got his PhD at night. So I get my work ethic from him, nose to the grindstone and learn my lesson that if you're not gonna give something you're all, don't do it. If you're gonna scoop ice cream, be the best ice cream scooper there is out there. Um, So that's how, I was sort of trained, you know, just by watching him. And what I learned from my mom was that sense of give back always and community involvement. We were always volunteering in soup kitchens. We were always donating to causes important to the family, which could have been, um, you know, people who are needy. It could have been pet shelters. All the things that were important to my parents became important to us as children. And that obviously has carried through to my life. It never stopped. Um, and what really is great for me personally is that when I started my own firm, I was able to do that here because as the boss, I can push that out to all of us. I don't have to have a committee that votes or be just one voice in a larger firm, I was just able to make that part of the fabric of our firm, of my firm, and everybody has embraced it. And it makes us who we are, which is so great for me personally and so fulfilling. Well, you know, you're being um, in a law firm. Did you start when you got out of law school? I saw you went to the University of Connecticut Law School. So did you actually start the firm when you got out of school or did it develop? No, it developed. I had several jobs. I worked, I clerked for judges. I worked in New York City government for a while. I worked for an elder law firm um, for several years. So I, I learned from, and of course, you know, I had a multitude of other jobs. I will say the, the job where I learned the most was waiting tables. <laughs> now tell me about that. <laughs> yep. That's, you know, that's where you learn everything you need to know about customer service. The client is always right. Um, all those kinds of, and I tell my kids that all the time, and it's also very humbling, um, but that, those are life skills. So all of those experiences have really, again, made me who I am. And then, so after all that, and when I was at the other elder law firm, um, I was constantly, I had no idea I was going to start my own firm, but I often was thinking about what I liked and what I didn't like there and what I would do differently if I had my own firm having no sense Mm. that I was going to ever have my own firm, but just making sort of mental notes. And what was the launch pad moment? What was it that made it say, okay, I'm ready? What gave you the courage? Because it takes courage to get out on your own. It does. Someone said to me, I was working, you know, 12 hour days, six days a week. And, you know, again, my father's work ethic. And someone said to me, if you're working this hard for somebody else, you should probably go out on your own. 
and I didn't have kids yet. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I will. What's the worst that happens? It doesn't work out. I can always go back and find another job. And so wow. I gave it a whirl. And you know, it it's, worked it's, out okay. <laughs> and how, you know, it's it's so interesting that your philosophy is so much like mine with my son and my children. Because um, when he Josh got a job when he was in high school working at Adventureland. And he was scooping ice cream. <laughs> and I said, if you're going to be an ice cream scooper, you be the best ice cream scooper there ever was. Absolutely. And at the end of the summer, my friend owned Adventureland and I went to see him. And he said, you know, everybody wants to know who's that redhead. Nobody ever sold so much ice cream. <laughs> and then when Josh applied to business school, Tony Gentili, the owner of Adventureland, wrote him a reference based on his scooping ice cream oh, success. My God. That is so great. And then when he it. went into business, he went to become an investment banker. He called me one night and said, Mom, if I'm going to work 24-7, can I come work for you? Same and he job. ventured out and decided to join us. And I had me, it's me, myself, and I owning the place. And, you know, I took a pay cut. Uh -huh. But Josh did the same thinking that you, if I'm going to work so hard, why not work for myself? And it's worked out that now we own 75 media outlets. So, you know, wow. it's been Josh's um, good uh, knowledge and uh, sensibility and brilliance to be able to see the opportunities. And I see for you, Jennifer, now you have a specialty. Tell us a little bit about what you do now. So we practice elder law, estate planning. We do guardianships, social security disability, special needs trust. There is such a need for that, which is really exploding especially on Long Island. Um, so all facets of elder law and estate planning. So just talk one minute because I'm, you know, founded an agency, Life's Work, for yes, children with special needs and autism. But tell me why- My daughter actually volunteered plan. there. Okay, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about how it was that, you know, why it's so important for parents. Oh my gosh, to plan for special needs. It's so important for parents. I mean, everyone should have an estate plan, but parents with special needs children don't understand necessarily what's going to happen to their children as they age, as they're approaching age of 18, because the children can start making their own decisions for themselves, which is a huge problem because the parents are used to making financial and healthcare decisions for them. Once that child is age 18, they can make all their own decisions, where they live, medical decisions once they hit 18. So as the child hits age 17, we recommend that um, the families look into a 17, what's called a 17A guardianship so that they can continue to make those decisions for a child with special needs if that's appropriate. Um, estate, from the estate planning perspective, you wanna make sure that in a will or a living will, a, a living trust, that you've provided for assets to go into a trust so that the child with special needs can keep the inheritance and keep their benefits, their government benefits, whatever they're receiving, Medicaid, SSI, SSD, whatever it may be. Otherwise, they're going to lose one or the other um, or end up having a payback trust. So what we've seen, though, is that the families are often so exhausted by the, the time they've gotten through the day to day with children, which makes perfect sense, whether the child is reaching age 17, 18, that they just don't even want to deal with this anymore. It's kind of like enough already. So our challenge is making it very easy, 
very understandable and getting families over that finish line of this one last hurdle so that everybody's protected, um, which you know we, we are really good at making things simple and easy and streamlined. Well, you know, this is, uh, as you, you hit it on the head, how few families uh, have the energy of the know-how to be able to uh, plan properly for the children with special needs. You know, this is, I think, a big issue for a lot of people. Uh, is there any changing in the laws that have affected the people in your piece of the world of estate planning? Well, we've been waiting on pins and needles for what's going to happen with Biden's infrastructure plan and what's going to happen with the with the taxes. Um, so that's been really challenging, wondering, you know, some people were rushing out to do plans and get grandfathered in. Um, still a little bit up in the air, obviously. Um, so, but it looks like most of the major changes have been taken off the table. Um, so that rush to get grandfathered in has now been removed, but it's still a moving target, which nobody likes a moving target for sure. Mm. Um, and nobody likes to rush into planning when they don't need to. Planning with your back up against the wall is never a good idea. Um, but missing opportunities is also never a good idea. So it's been a very tough, you know, short span of time here. But we're hopefully approaching the end of that as we get some certainty. Yeah. Well, we're all watching uh, very carefully because there's so much money now. They did the infrastructure bill, but it's really now what I think will really affect people's lives in a different way. Uh, the next tax uh, you know, incentive and what will have to pass or fail. But a negotiation hopefully will give us something of quality that we can all be able to um, to live with, but you'll be ready to advise them. And I know Absolutely. talking about advice, you know, I think... Uh, work you're doing with the Alzheimer's Foundation is so important. How did you get involved with them? And tell us about what's happening with them now in terms of helping people with stuff with, to me, one of the most terrible diseases in the world. It's, it's absolutely one of the worst diseases. So it's the Long Island Alzheimer's and Dementia Center. Um, we're located in Westbury now. I got involved um, about 18 years ago um, on the legal advisory board. And, you know, I kind of look at it as I came for the cause and stayed for the people because the staff is absolutely incredible. I kind of fell in love with them. Um, I've been on the board for about seven years, I would say. I kind of lose count. And I've been chair of the board for about three years now. Um, it's just an amazing organization that provides hands-on care for participants who have early, mid and late stage um, Alzheimer's or dementia and also respite care. So what the respite care means is that one of our staff members will go into the home and provide one-on-one -on -one care for the diagnosed individual. And then that gives respite for the caregiver who could then take care of themselves, go grocery shopping, go to their doctor appointments, go to work, get a break, so that respite care is so important because the burnout of the caregivers is tremendous. Um, so it's really all encompassing, hands-on, and there's nobody else doing that on Long Island. All of the other organizations are national and they're all raising money and a lot are doing research, but the hands-on care for the people suffering with the disease now, no one else is helping them and what else I also really love about LIAD, as we call it, Long Alzheimer's and Dementia Center, 
um, is that the money raised here stays here. So we're a real grassroots organization. I love that about Liad. Um, that's my kind of thing. You know, I want to know that the dollars are staying here. They're not getting spread across the country. Um, so that's really important to me as well. So is there, I hate to put you on the spot, but is there a phone number that we can, or a website that you can advise people who are listening to go to? Absolutely. LIDementia.org. Because I think if there's any piece of advice, what would you say for a family who gets a diagnosis? What, what, what would be some advice you would give them? Reach out early. There is so much support. Um, get educated. Um, LIAD is big on education, support groups, counseling. You need to learn early because knowledge is power, just like in anything else and avail yourself of the support that's there because this is so difficult and it never gets easier. Um, so get that support, support and education. Well, you know, uh, your um, success is astounding on many levels. And I want to ask you, what advice would you give other women? Uh, we'll say people, we'll allow the men to listen in <laughs> uh, on, on being successful what is the road to um, being able to achieve, well, I'll say it, your great success? Why, thank you. I'm honored. Coming from you, that's very remarkable. Um, I would say some very basic things for young people starting out would be dress for the job you want, show up, be accountable, be reliable, and the one that is there when somebody needs you. You know, we all know who's here and who's not and who we can ask things of and who's going to do a really great job. And those people are kind of overloaded with work, whereas the other ones are not because we know who's going to get it done and get it done well. Be that person. I would also say what is super, super important for, let's say, leaders and emerging leaders is recognizing that not everybody on the team has the same skill set, and not everybody should. You want everybody on the boat rowing in the same direction, right? But you don't want them all with the same skills because then the boat's going to just turn in a circle. It's not going to go forward. But you have to respect everybody's role and that everybody has a different role to play. But that respect piece is huge. If, if the three or four of you or eight of you are doing very different things, Recognizing and acknowledging that those pieces are critical to the organization is very, very important. And saying it out loud and saying, I really need you doing your part so I can do my part and you can do your part. And this team only works because we're all carrying our load. And thank you for carrying your load and acknowledging that I'm carrying my load. That's critical to any organization. Well, I think those are great rules to um be able to live your life with on many levels. Hmm. And I thank you so much, Jennifer Kona, for being with us, uh, a woman who has made her path to great success and helping others along the way. So thank you all for being with me. This is Victoria Schnepp signing off for now. See you next time on the Power Woman podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Vicki.